0: Welcome friends to Breakfast in the Ruins, a Michael Mocock flavoured podcast. Loz is back with me and Darian Toms to pick up part 3 of The Fortress of the Pearl, wherein we conclude our reread and re-evaluation of the 1989 Elric novel that we haven't read since its original release. I think it's fair to say we might have had it all wrong for over 30 years. After the hour mark we also get a bit gamey and reflect upon the dreaming world as portrayed in Elric RPGs. As always, we're accompanied on our journey by some suitably disturbing beer, and this one was as eldritch as they come. So settle in, smoke some dried fire beetles, and join us as we pass through the final gate and, for the last time, enter the fortress of the Pearl. Okay, so we're back in Derry and Tom's, of course, and Loz is here. Hello, Loz. Hi. And we're back to do Fortress of the Pale Part 3. Huzzah! Hooray! It's only been a few months. It's nearly finished. Yeah. Uh, Now, before we uh, recap Mm. Parts 1 and 2 briefly, I think we'd better just um, launch straight into what we're drinking. I mean, we've just had the last of the... What was it? I forgot Rapid. What it's called. rabbit pants black ipa yep. you'll be happy to know that is the only dark beer stroke black beer that's anywhere near this kitchen although i'm sure if you look at the beer corner or the booze corner there's probably some hidden in there it's very somewhere. nice but is that it? black ipa is great it's quality but right now we're on the very attractively labeled rapunzel belgian style blonde we're 7.1 percent by volume it's by who is it Can't read it. The writing's fucking tiny. Tartarus. Yeah. Tartarus base. it's vegan. Yeah. Which is great. Uh, And uh, I haven't tried it yet, so let's uh, go in there and give it a look.
1: I have tried it. It reminds me of a
0: Saison. That's actually really nice. That's good, yeah. You wouldn't know at this temperature that it's a 7.1% beer. No, it's quite pleasant. Mm. We might do by the end of the class. Yes. And, of course, what we've got to remember is that whilst we decided to have a moratorium on ridiculously disgusting, syrupy, dark stouts and porters for a while. We did. I have managed to isolate a particularly challenging, I expect, IPA of some description, in order to at least maintain some of our tradition. Yeah, yeah. And uh, here we have it. So let's go. I'll pass that one to you. (sighs) Jesus. I think... Really? Yeah, I think it's only traditional. Oh, good God. Yes. that As we're still in the dream realms, Yes. then why not have the great dreamer on board himself? Uh, Cthulhu. So Lovecraft was bound to feature on Breakfast in the Ruins at some point, but little did we know it would be in the form of an eldritch shanity shattering. Shanity shattering. Shanity yeah. shattering. Yes. But it's a very nice label. It is. It's it's called Cthulhu. It's called Cthulhu. It's also vegan.
1: It does. It's also a West Coast Tipper. So what's a type here
0: What's a Tipper? Um. Yeah, me neither. No, it's by Tartarus beers I've, I've also, got
1: and it's twelve percent. Yeah. So that's a
0: good thing. Which is pretty fucking horrifying. Yeah. I think we should possibly put them back in the fridge until we've drunk these, because frankly, if this gets anywhere near room temperature. It's going to taste like brake fluid.
1: Yeah, it may actually kill us.
0: Yeah. Uh, It does actually mention that on the label. So just stand by while I just pop these
1: back. Yeah, that will be marvellous. Yeah. So
0: while I'm popping these back in the fridge, why don't you recap what has gone before?
1: Well, what's gone before is the uh, Fortress of the Pearl parts 1 and 2, where me and Mr Stimson have discussed in great detail the book and drank beer. Yeah. I think that's probably the summary everybody yeah. needed. But
0: yeah. I suppose we're going to talk about the story very briefly. We do,
1: yeah. So, Elric he arrives in Quazhazat. 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 Yeah. A bit worse for wear. The Quasatar Empire fought the bright empire of Melnibe. Mel-nib- yeah. Mel-nib- yeah. He's Nib-nib. still on his gap year. He is mm-hmm. on his gap year, yeah. He's on his post Elric of Melnibbe gap year. Before he goes to back to Emir and has a yeah. bit of a fight. Yeah. Uh, Yir Koon's on the throne. Simaril's going, what are you on about? Why yep. have you disappeared for a year? And he's ended up in this desert place, in the uh, Sighing Desert. Mm-hmm. bit worse for wear. Gets a bit tricked by uh, Lord Go. Lord Go Farzy. Yeah. Who basi- who's basically, there's, there's a strange kind of, uh, is it the six and one?
0: Yeah, the six and one, the council. And yeah. Lord, Lord Go desperately wants power. Yeah. He wants to impress the rest of the council. And he wants uh, a certain artifact,
1: which is the aforementioned pearl. The pearl,
0: which sits in the, the heart of the, world. of the pearl, the heart of the world. So it's a massive
1: pearl. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody knows much about it. So that happens. Uh, Elric gets tricked into drinking some elixir, which yep. is poisonous. Yep. Uh, and in, and Lord Go goes, "Get me the pearl, otherwise you're going to die, and I'll also steal your current servant." Mm-hmm. N.I., is it? Yeah, the little boy, Anai, so he's at risk as well. Yep, so Elric goes off on his quest, meets some fire beetles, has mm-hmm. a few fights, goes to uh, Glastonbury. Yep. Um, and then... Kills a lot of sorcerer of adventurers. Yep. Um, and finds out there's uh, the holy girl who mm-hmm. is trapped in the dream world. Mm-hmm. And she's in the bronze tent. She is in the bronze tent of the Blood Moon. hmm uh, Elric goes there, finds out it is a bit like Glastonbury. There's uh, lots of you know jugglers, yeah. dancers, that yep. kind of thing. Goes there, offices, services. We forgot about Alnac Creb. Uh, well, so Rahul
0: Nassim, he's the Holy Girl's dad. He yeah. wants his help. He, ex- he thinks that Elric is part of some deal that he's made with a dream thief to come and sort things out. Elric's bulked into Alnak Creb. We liked Alnak Creb. We liked the cut of his jib. Sadly, it all goes a little bit wrong. When he tries to enter the girl's dreams, he withers up like an old husk.
1: Yeah, see, he let himself and the holy girl down, I yep. think. there uh, He yep. peaked
0: too early. Yep, and I then were. Una appears, and she is the dream thief. That they were expecting. Yep. Little did they know. Yep. Alnacreb was a friend of hers, but not particularly experienced. But she's the real deal. She does. She comes in and goes, No, wait, I'll
1: bring back the holy girl. Yep. Varadia, uh, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And now it goes, yeah, I'll
0: go as well. It'll be ace.
1: Yeah. So off they go and have adventures. They do. They go into the dream world hmm. uh, with surreal and strange consequences. Yeah.
0: And it's all fairly entertaining. It's all good fun. Mocock is very much in deconstruction mode, deconstructing the tropes of fancy and his own tropes as well. Yeah. And to cut a very long story short, they have some adventures. They encounter the Pearl Warrior, who may be some aspect of Alnac Kreb. Could they encounter a rabbit in trousers? Yeah, the tr- trousered rabbit. Trousered yeah. rabbit. He wasn't very good, was he? No, and he became a cropper. He did. Yeah, yeah. And they come across Lady a Stout. guy <laughs> who wants to eat their livers. Yep, yeah, liver guy. Liver guy. Yeah. Give me your liver! Yeah. And Queen great. Sow turns up, helps them out. They wonder if Queen Sow is the holy girl's mother. Yeah. But eventually they pass through all five of these lands of... The Eggs. dream, yeah, no. all rhyming. Land of kebabs, yeah. Land
1: of black pudding, yeah. There was probably something to do with sheep, yeah. I would have thought. And they end
0: up in the land of madness. They do. The land of madness surprisingly mm. has a few issues, yeah. But yeah. we finally got there. We got through the quest. They're in the land of madness. Queen So has seen them through the portal. They got away from the oddball that was after eating their livers. And um, the pale warrior actually they ended up fighting together to fight off some menace. They did. And then they get through the portal. So, long story short, they have arrived in the land of madness, where they will find the Fortress of the Pearl. They do. So part three kicks off with an extract from The Chronicle of the Black Sword. It does. Yeah. I think you should read it, Loz. Now, it's it's up to you whether you read it in the style of Hugh Grant from a Shit Guy Ritchie film. I'm not going to say that it's a prerequisite. I'll leave it to you. I think it'd be rude not to. Okay, go on.
1: So, you know... Bear with me. Uh, So, (laughs) the people who haven't watched Operation Fortune uh, on uh, Prime...
0: Yeah, you don't need to. Just listen
1: listen to the next 30 (laughs) seconds. This is probably a synopsis of the best bit of the whole film. So, here we go. And I apologise for anybody from London. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a brave lord, birthed by fate, To wield our weapons, win new estates, And tear down the walls, time sanctifies... Raise ancient temples as hallowed lies. His pride to break, his love to love. Destroying his race, his history, his muse. And (laughs) requelishing peace (laughs) for a life of strife. Leave only a corpse that flies. Refuse. Now, for me, apart from my... (laughs) inaccuracy in a certain couple of words is yeah it do not it, it's the poetry in fantasy books trope why do it yeah. please it doesn't enhance anything
0: well i've got to say this <laughs> whilst i like the cut of your jib uh and the delivery was very good thank you very it's much. a bit of a shit poem
1: it is a bit of a shit poem. Um, to be fair, I might have crucified some of the uh, iambic pentameter. No. <laughs> but there we go. Yeah. So I'll stop doing that now, and I okay. do apologise to Hugh Grant, uh, his agent, and anybody
0: out there from London. You know what? No apologies necessary. Yeah. Recap in place, poem read, yeah. Chronicle of the Black Sword out of the way. Yeah. Chapter one At the Court of the Pearl. Again, Elric experienced that strange frisson of recognition at the landscape before him, though he could not remember ever seeing anything like it. Pale blue mist rose around cypresses, date palms, orange trees and poplars, whose shades of green were equally pale. Flowing meadows occasionally revealed the rounded white of boulders, and in the far distance were snow peaked mountains. It was as if an artist had painted the scenery with the most delicate of washes, the finest of brushstrokes. It was a vision of paradise and completely unexpected after the insanity of Falador. Do you know what that reminds me of uh, Bob Ross? Ah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking it's... I really like this. I'm going to read the second paragraph as well, but I really like these two paragraphs. It's like uh, Dunsany, but lean and efficient and less flowery in the way it evokes this landscape that they're passing through, this fantastic landscape. Or or it's it's like something from Lud in the Mist, but a little bit more exotic. Queen Saur had remained silent since she had answered Elric's question, and a peculiar atmosphere had developed between the three of them. Yet all the uneasiness failed to affect Elric's delight at the world they had entered. The skies, if skies there were, were full of pearly cloud, tinged by pink in the faintest yellow, and a little white smoke rose up from the flat-roofed house some distance away. The barge had come to rest in a pool of still, sparkling water, and Queen Sow gestured for them to disembark. So I really like that. It's a really lovely introduction. And it again, is- it's um, whilst Murcock does lots of nice descriptions of you know places that Elric visits in the world, this once again, as we've commented in the previous two parts, is a little bit more whimsical, a little bit yeah. more soft, a little bit more fantastical. But I must say, when when first of all she the, the description of the the house. And the- I thought for a second, is this this yeah, the yeah. Mrs. House? Yeah, I thought that as well. I breathed a sigh of relief yeah. when it was.
1: At one point, I was like, uh, <laughs> "Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! All right, right, good. Yeah, thank, thank the Lord for that. Yeah." And I can't remember what book that's from.
0: I think it's one of the Moonbeam Rods trilogy. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Mrs. House. Mrs. House. Not yeah. for everyone. We'll get to that one yeah. day. We did reference Mrs House in episode zero. Yeah, and... <laughs> we probably did, too. Yeah, but yeah, we've that... never revisited it yet, so no. we'll get to it. So it all looks pretty mellow. Elric asks Queen Sal, where the fortress is? She says, oh, well, um, whoever's in that cottage will tell you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. The walk over to the cottage. Elric's maybe getting a little bit complacent again. Yeah. So Una's warning him about the rules of Dreamland again. Yeah. This is the land of madness. Madness can take many forms. It says, Una was the first to reach the door of the White House. Outside were two chickens scratching in the gravel. An old dog tethered to a barrel who looked up at them over a grey muzzle and grinned. So you're right, dogs can look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. A pair of short-coated cats cleaning their silvery fare on the roof over the lintel. Una knocked and the door was opened almost immediately. A tall, handsome young man stood there, his head covered by an old burnoose his body clad in a light brown robe with long sleeves. He seemed pleased to see visitors. He did. What's a banous? A bonus. I had to look it up. Yeah. A bonus is like a Middle Eastern robe with a hood. All right, cool. So he's kind of in monkish garb. Yeah. Greetings to you, he said. I am Chamog Balm, currently in exile. Have you come with good news from the court? We have no news at all, I fear, said Una. We are travellers and we seek the Fortress of the Pearl. Is it close by here? At the heart and centre of those mountains, he worked with his hand toward the peak. Will you join me for some refreshment? Yeah, and then he knocks up some uh, herbal drinks.
1: Mm. Yeah. So when I was reading this, I was like, Shamog Baum. Have I heard of him before?
0: This is exactly what I was thinking. Generally, when there's a stupid name in Moorcock, yeah. it's an anagram of some description. Yeah. But I scratch my head, and I cannot for a second think... What that could be an amagram of. No,
1: I I don't either.
0: So anybody who's listening, answers on a postcard.
1: And it's also, it's another Michael Moecock, especially in this book, random larker thrown Mm. in for
0: whatever reason. Mm. Oh, we we kind of find out why, don't we? But even Elric's thinking, "I, I recall this name, why is this name so familiar? And he thinks that he only recently heard it. Balm is attired like an Eastern monk, complete with hood. We find out he's a defrocked knight of the court yeah. of the Pearl. And Elric realises that he has dim memories of hearing stories in Kwasa's heart <laughs> of this fella, but he understood them to date back a thousand years. Yeah. So he's like a almost a mythical like, story book character of Kwasa's history. Indeed. Who fought against the Bright Empire. He did. But it turns out to be quite a chance meeting because... Whilst he attires them with some swish gear, Baum and Elric have an exchange. Oh, that's... Chamog... Bo, Ch, fuck's sake. Chamog... fuck's Chamog Balm's gifts continued in the shape of two grey horses, which he led from their stable at the back of the house. These are Taran and Tadia, brother and sister. They were twin foals. They have never been separated. Once, I rode them into battle. Once, I took up arms against the Bright Empire. Now the last Emperor of Melniboné will ride in my place to fulfil my destiny, and end the siege of the Fortress of the Pearl."
1: You know me, Elric looked hard at the handsome youth, seeking deception or even irony, but there was none in those steady eyes.
0: A hero knows another, Prince Elric, and Chaimog Balm reached out to grip Elric's forearm in the gesture of friendship of the Desert Peoples. May you gain all you wish to gain, and may you do so with honour, you too, Lady Una, your courage is the greatest of all. Farewell. And he sees them off. He does. There's a sense that perhaps you always get that sense with the language when Moe certainly in the latter stages of the Eternal Champion books, that whenever there's a, a, a champion recognizes another champion, yeah. there's always like an insinuation that this could be. Another aspect of the Eternal Champion, could who be. once fought in the service of Quasarheart against Chaos, war against Chaos. Yeah, yeah. possible. But might have been a bit rubbish, though. May well have been a bit rubbish. Certainly failed in this respect. He did, yeah, yeah, because uh, mm-hmm. he's been defrocked, and he's basically just giving them directions. Mocock loves his little seeds and details that add to that overall tapestry. He does. It's always a little bit of fun, even when they're kind of fairly throwaway characters, and we don't really see a great deal of him. Although he does, he does recur a little bit further down the line.
1: It does, but ultimately, yeah, what's he on about? No. <laughs> Why is he there? Yeah. And does it add anything to the story? Possibly not.
0: Well, this has been the theme throughout the Forks of the Pearl, hasn't it? Yeah. That there's all these little bits and pieces, all these little bits of pieces of detail, characters that pop in and pop out, Jasper is popping in yeah. and popping out. It doesn't really add anything other than colour in the tapestry. Yeah, yeah. And add little details, and that's more and more the way I think about *Fortress of the Pearl*. Is it's like looking at a big rug with lots yeah. of detail on it, and there's you know there's a little fella over here with yeah. a, oh look it's a rabbit in pants, yeah, jousting yeah. with jousting at trees, Bear tilting at is. trees. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, look, there's a little, little bit his head's been chopped off. Unlucky yeah. poor rabbit bloke. And that's what the *Fortress of the Pearl* is like. It's like a a big rich tapestry of detail. But I think as we go, the strings are drawn and and, and it comes together. It does, next couple end, of chapters. Yeah, it does It does make more sense. Yeah. So now they're travelling down marble roads towards the mountains where they hope to find the fortress, and there is a, a little exchange between Elric and Una. The road, when they reached it, proved to be of pure marble, but the horses' hooves were so well shod they did not slip once. The noise of their galloping began to echo through the wide pass and herds of gazelles and wild sheep looked up from their grazing to watch them pass. Two silver riders on silver horses on their way to do battle with the forces who had seized power at the Fortress of the Pearl.
1: You've understood these people better than I, he said to Una, as the road began to twist towards the centre of the range, and the light had grown colder, the sky a bright, hard grey. Do you know
0: what we might expect to find at the Fortress of the Pearl? She shook her head in regret. It is like understanding a code without knowing what the words actually relate to, she told him. The force is powerful enough to banish a hero as potent, the Chairmog
1: I know only the legend, and from that little I heard in the slave market it cries, has it?
0: He was summoned by the Holy Girl as soon as she realised that she was under further attack. This is what I believe, at any rate. She did not expect him to fail her. Somehow, indeed, he made matters worse. She felt betrayed by him and banished to the edge of the nameless land, there perhaps to greet and assist others who might come to help her. That is no doubt why we are given all the appurtenances of the hero so that we may be as much like heroes as he.
1: Yet we know this world less well. How may we succeed where he has failed?
0: Perhaps because of our ignorance, she said. Perhaps not. I cannot answer you, Elric. She rode close to him, leaning from a saddle, to kiss that part of his cheek exposed by the helmet. Only know this. I will neither betray her, nor, if I can help it, you. Yet if I must betray one of you, I suppose it will be you. Elric looked at her in bafflement. Is that likely to be an issue? She shrugged and then she sighed. I do not know, Elric. Look, I think we've come to the Fortress of the Pearl. How handy. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to get a bit miz. Could have got a bit awkward there, (laughs) couldn't it? I I like the idea that in the first part of that, Moorcock really deconstructs the idea of the fantasy MacGuffin in (laughs) a couple of lines which is quite cool. She said, it's like understanding a code without knowing what the he- words actually relate to. Because he's, he said, do you know what we might expect to find at the force of the pearl? It's like, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if yes. it's a pearl or yeah. a record yeah. or a jar of fucking pickled onions. Yeah, the red hat of Pat Ferry. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's just more flavour. But Elric wonders how they can succeed where Balm has failed. And this, this bit where Una suggests... That, it kinda of comes out of the blue when she says, Well, you know what, I will be faithful to the holy girl and to you, to a point. Yeah. And then sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of thought that was foreshadowing. A little bit. But yeah. it's only foreshadowing if you look at it in a certain light, and there is a little piece at the end of the epilogue which we'll get to. Yeah. That you could read in a way that could be a form of betrayal. But we'll get to it. But potentially
1: I think he yeah, I think that is a, a discussion point, is it? Yeah. Betrayal
0: after what what happened. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, we're at the fortress suddenly. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's, Elric's impressed. It's very nice. Right to be of home. To pass the gates, though, they have to face once again. Oh, way hey up. It's the pale warrior again. He, he's back. And. I was quite amused by this, because he talks some nonsensical jive. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit confusing. And Elric but... having none of it, so he's just like, oh, I'm going to fight you. Yeah. Oh, I've got no time for this garbage that's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm going to hit you real good. Yeah, Stop so I'm going to pile We're going to have a scrap. So the fight, it's not Elric who gets the best of him, it's Una. Una gets the best of it.
1: She does, and that brings us back to the point of who's the real hero in the book? Yeah, It's Una, isn't it? Yeah. And the fact that... He's describing this manoeuvre as uh, going down in history. Yeah, he's so impressed. Yeah. This
0: spear-stroke-sword manoeuvre. Yeah, I'm not... Which not... cracks the breastplate. It does. But there's a really brilliant bit where, before that actually happens, the Pale Warrior sneers a snide insult at Ilric. Yeah. He goes, Ordinary soul! <laughs> yeah. The lips twisted in this insult, clearly as disgusting as any you can
1: conceive. Which is a fantastic yeah, insult. Yeah. I'm going to use it.
0: Yeah, I think we I'm should. I'm going to use it as well as bad beef. Bad beef? I'm going to that, use that an ordinary as soul. a handy barb at work. Yeah. If I'm in a team's meeting and someone upsets me, I'm either going to call them <laughs> bad beef. I'm going to say you're bad beef. Or I'm going to call them, I'm going to shriek at them with a sneer that yeah. they are just an ordinary soul.
1: Or you could, or you could just say you, ordinary soul. Yeah. I'll just leave it, it
0: But if you say it like that, people might mistake it for a compliment. I think you've got to do it with a shriek and a sneer. Yeah, but
1: you're probably right. Ordinary um, soul! Well, it's like twisted lips. You need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But they're in. So, sh- should we should we comment on the uh, Marvel strategy of, uh, of Una? I'm not convinced. No, I'm not convinced <laughs> either. And uh, he began to chuckle again, this time because Una was riding at him. Her sword stretched out before her. A spear held in her hand, her reins between her teeth. Which is quite tricky to do. Try yeah. tried it once That's quite in impressive. Barnsley. <laughs> uh, the sword drove forward. The spear swung back as poised to throw. Then sword and spear struck the pearl warrior at exact the same moment. So his breastplate cracked like the shell of a, some great crustacean. Mm. and was pierced by the sword. Mm. Elric marvelled at the strategy, which he had never witnessed before. It was a feat of arms warriors would speak of for a thousand years to come, mm. which many would try and emulate and would die in the trying. Mm. Not my words, the words of Elric. Yeah. Yeah. He he was well impressed.
0: I can't help thinking that the sword held out in one hand and the spear in the left is like the equivalent of going, distracting <laughs> someone with your right hand while you're poking with your left. Yeah. Like, oh, look at my hand. Oh.
1: But she, she drew it back to throw. Mm-hmm. So he was going, Oh, she's going to throw it. Mm. I just, I'm, I'm not getting it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, for a thousand years to come, people will be discussing that.
0: Yeah. You know, a bit of hyperbole there from Elric. Yeah. Not entirely. Yeah. But it is a dream. He does fancy Una. Maybe he's just talking it all up. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was truly impressive. You just had to be there. Yeah. You just which, don't know.
1: We weren't, sadly.
0: But the Pearl Warriors dumped. They're in. Una Nick's pale warrior's
1: sword. Yeah, but then he, <laughs> both, he groaned, he cackled, he floundered. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's nowhere for a man to go, is uh, it? Or woman. Well, he flounders off. He, anyway. flound- <laughs> he flounces off. <laughs> yeah. So they wander through this massive fortress come city for a while. Multiple courtyards, not many yeah. people around. Yeah. And then weird people start bombarding them with blood from high galleries.
1: Which is a bit unusual, I mm, think. Yeah. Possibly a metaphor.
0: And again, hugely amused by this. Trapped up to the knees in blood in a courtyard, Elric panics. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's pulling at the bar, he's trying to lift the bar, and Una reaches past him and presses a button. <laughs> and the darts swings up. That amused me. Like, know uh, Elric gets mocked for not understanding button operated gates. <laughs> well, what a fucking goof. They probably didn't have him in, you know, Emma, did they? So... Well, you know what, Pances itself, pretty much, but yeah. they ain't got button-operated gates. Have they? And, and, and <laughs>
1: she grinned at him, like most men, you become a brute when you panic, my lord. Uh. <laughs> he was hurt by a joke. I had no idea she should find <laughs> such a means of opening the gate, my lady. <laughs> I've never come across a button before. <laughs> Bit uh, defensive,
2: though. Yeah.
0: They have a few more trials to face. Bit of an earthquake. Yeah. Some other stuff. Yeah. It's all good. But then they soon meet... A bloke who is the Seneschal. He is the Seneschal, the which is always a great word. Yeah. And he tries to buy them off with some gold. Yeah, he looks bewildered, though. Yeah. he? But Una's having none of it. So she presses on him. He's like, but gold. Oh, I don't want <laughs> any gold. Better things. Whereas Elric's going,
2: oh,
0: I quite oh, like gold. 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 If, so if, if once Mo- again. If Moonglum
1: was there, he'd be well taken. Oh, gold, going, then.
0: what are you on about Elric? This will pay, <laughs> pay for our breakfast and our, our <laughs> breakfast wine for yeah, weeks. exactly. I'm absolutely famished. <laughs> I haven't eaten for days. Yeah, so she basically drags Elric along with her, yeah, as yeah. she has done the entire book. In- indeed,
1: Elric's just like being dragged along <laughs> like a small child. Yeah, he's, he's, like,
0: he's, he's like a dog. It was like, but, yeah. but no, bones. Oh, oh but no, look, <laughs> hot dog. Yeah. Oh, but no, look, but. another dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some guy with a sword, I yeah. don't know. But they arrive at the Pearl. It's massive. It's happened quite quickly, this. It is, frankly. yeah.
1: Thank, uh, thank God. Mm. So we've had to try to <laughs> thousands
0: of pages of. Yeah, by thousands, <laughs> mean about 120. Seems, <laughs> seems like thousands. Yeah. But yeah. You're out of the pearl. It's massive. It is big. Yeah. Queen Sau is there, as Oof. is the bashed up pearl warrior. What?
1: And um, hello. Yeah. The Sen Charles, he's back.
0: Yeah. So they're convinced that Elric and Una want to nick the pearl. They do. But Una appeals to them that the Holy Girl must be saved. Although we, the readers, know that Elric is really there for the Pearl. But Una. Yeah, is he though? Is he though? Is he? I don't think he is. Yeah, he's, he's, I, he's, I think he, he knows. It all works out quite nicely yeah, for him. He's we got, got, don't, he's got. We'd have to test that. He's got it?
1: criteria,
0: hasn't he? He's got Holy Girl first, yeah. the Pearl. But if it came down to self preservation, this never gets tested, fortunately, no. because everything falls into place for Elric quite, quite neatly. Nice. It does, doesn't it? Yeah and it is amusing that a little bit later on Elric is basically saying well I don't know what I did and Una's <laughs> saying oh no you were really important you were brilliant yeah you were great uh, all those bits you did yeah. yeah it was fabulous can't remember any of them but, but, but we, we found that he he does play his part in what essentially is a charade or a yes, charade which does. is all
1: manipulated but then he, by he, Una but then he also nearly blurted out like a massive before. <laughs> <doesn't he? laughs> So basically, it's equivalent of like Una winking at him like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stay with me, Elric. Yeah, we well did this. Stay with me. Don't get distracted by the (laughs) burger stand over there. Everything's cool. Whatever you do. So Una's appealing to them that the Holy Gale must be saved. And we're still not entirely clear on what Una's course of action might be at this point, but it's moot anyway, as through the walls of the chamber emerge a load of the tattooed sorcerer adventurers. They do. There you uh, the representatives uh, and the, the, the fist of the Council of Six and the other do. one. At this point, Elric says, we cannot fight them. Yes. There are too many of them.
1: Which well, doesn't sound like Elric, does it?
0: No. And he prepared himself for death. So this is like a flimsy Doctor Who cliffhanger. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, no. But we know full well that Elric so far has had very few problems butchering gods <laughs> <those laughs> and idiots. Yeah, yeah. So it's says, so oh, God, no, is we'll that, never that, win this one. Is Nell never held back as he yeah We're never going to win this one. So, Again, Una. Yeah. Chapter 2, The Destruction in the Fortress. Then Una had mounted a silver horse and raised a silver sword. She called out, Elric, do as I do, and had urged the stallion into a canter so that its hoofs rattled like thunder in the chamber. Prepared to die with courage, even at the moment of apparent triumph, Elric climbed into his saddle, took a spear in the hand that held the reins and with his sword already swinging, charged against the invaders. Only as the crowded around him, axes, maces, spears and swords lifted to attack, did Elric understand that Una's action had not been one of mere desperation. These half-shades moved sluggishly, their eyes were misted, they stumbled and their blows were feeble. (coughs) The slaughter now became sickening to him. Following her example, he hacked and stabbed from side to side, almost mechanically, Heads came away from bodies like rotten fruit. Limbs were sliced as easily as leaves from a stick. Torsos collapsed under the thrust of spear or sword. Their viscous blood, already the blood of the dead, clung to weapons and armour, and their cries of pain were pathetic to Elric's ears. If he had not sworn to follow Una, he would have ridden back and let her continue the work alone. There was little danger to them as the veiled men continued to paw through the walls and be met by sharp steel and cunning intelligence. Behind them, around the column of the pearl, the courtiers watched... They clearly did not know what a mediocre threat the two silver-armoured warriors confronted. At last, it was done. Decapitated, limbless bodies were piled around the hall. Elric and Una rode out of that slaughter and they were grim, unhappy, nauseated by their own actions. It is done, said Una. The sorcerer adventures are slain. So yeah, still easy. Yeah, and then...
1: You truly are heroes. Queen Sal came down the steps towards them, her eyes bright with admiration, her arms outstretched.
0: Yeah, but once again, it, it, it's Murkock in a way laughing at the tropes of heroic fantasy, isn't it? It's the, it's, it's the cliffhanger. It's like oh, 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 the dread of it. It's yeah. like no, it's a, it's a heroic fantasy character, therefore. He butchers them all, yeah. or they butcher them all. He
1: kills them real good, what well, yeah. both do.
0: But the courties of the Pearl, like Queen Sow, are impressed enough. The Seneschal cries with relief. He does, thank God. Pearl Warrior, a.k.a. Alnak Kreb, as yep. we now know, it's pretty much confirmed, dissolves with a sigh. He does. There is no more for me, he said. Alnak's dead eyes had nothing but resignation in them. This is for dissolution, and he fell forward onto the marble floor, his armour all broken, his limbs sprawling. And there was no longer any flesh on him, only bone, so that what was left of the pearl warrior resembled little more than the inedible remains of a crab, the supper of some sea giant.
1: <laughs> That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. unlucky.
0: Queen South gives Elric a hug and takes on her true form. She, she is and has been all along, the projection of Viradia, the holy girl. Have on a mo. Yeah, yeah exactly. Job done. Right, so here we go. Cthulhu, West Coast, TIPA. Oh, Saints Preservers. Uh, I have I love... a bad feeling about this. Yeah. I actually had a third can of this, and as it's Paul Hillary, the lapsed gamer's belated 50th birthday, it was actually a wee while ago, um, I'm sending can three to the lapsed gamer. So unlucky Paul, Yeah. it's headed your way. Sorry. Here we go. Oh sweet Jesus and all the baby <laughs> angels! <laughs> Woo, Gary <laughs> Davis! What a mate!
1: <laughs> oh, well. oh hell, hell's teeth <laughs> conserves.
0: Yeah, I can feel myself drying out. It's a uh, why? Yes. Why do people want this? Well, this, this was eight quid a can. That's ridiculous. And don't get me wrong, it's a fucking beautiful can. It's some quality artwork. Yeah. The, the Cthulhu illustration on the can label is really cool. But shit the bed. This who, is horrible.
1: Who, who in the world went, yeah, we really need a 12% beer right now? It's basically barley wine. But with a slight tinge of IPA.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, so basically it's an extremely dry and bitter barley wine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, I might just gave um, my tongue after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's try and power on through, through the pain. Right. this is where you get the crux of the whole book. Though, yes, right? so it this is. Particular... And everything after this is like wrap up. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but with hilarious consequences. But there is some really, really good stuff in here which ties all of those notes together. It ties together the tapestry of all those bits and pieces that we've been talking about because essentially. And something I really love about it is that the penny drops for Elric that most of what is experienced was projections of a child's dream Yeah, that's through very, this uh, format of these five or six yeah, yeah. So, layers so. of consciousness, these lands. Yeah. And the, the penny drops that actually, these child dreams have been manipulated by Una's understanding of the rules of dream thievery for her to be able to essentially fulfil the quest. Yeah. So she's been manipulating the child's perception of her own dreams. Yeah. But what I found really amusing about it is that once the penny drops for Elric, he's embarrassed to realise that he's standing there wearing the child's ide- idealistic picture of what her fairy tale version of a storybook's hero's armour is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's wearing Chermog Bomb's yeah. cool fairy tale armour. And once he realises this, he kind of looks down and looks at himself and he's mildly embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, Which I think is really cool. And very unlike the Elric, in any of the other stories. Well, yeah, that's the whole thing about
1: the book, though, is he? He's very much like a different Elric, as you said, and up until a certain point. Yeah. And it's just quite interesting. It's almost like he's not actually a very strong character no. in this at all, is he? He's no. He's very
0: much a passenger in a lot of ways. He is, but Una manipulates his presence to do what she needs him yeah, to do. Yeah. So Una demonstrates to the girl that whoever the villains are, whoever the opposition is, have no real power because Hare and Elric defeat them, and she uses Elric in that that manner too. So she uses the visual, almost, of Elric butchering all of the sorcerer adventurers to give the girl confidence that they're not overtly powerful anymore. Well, and they don't have any hold over her.
1: But they're also there not to steal the pearl yeah. and, and actually to save pear, isn't it? So yeah. The, you know, as they said, the only three real people, uh, uh, Una, Elric and Faradia, yeah. in the whole thing. Yeah. And that's why Elric and Una were able to do what they did. Yeah. And, it, and it's all that thing of, like, it's a child's dream and a child's view of heroism and villainy. Yeah. You know, and she made pale warrior mm. and brought back Shamo Baum. yeah it's it's quite interesting because it does turn the book
0: entirely on its head doesn't it it does and not only that i think it turns the elric character on its head as well because th- this wrap-up of the, the dream section with all the positivity and wholen- wholesomeness yeah of the child seeing elric as a fairy tale savior yeah it brings a different dimension to the Elric saga, but the Elric character as well. It's positive, it's quite playful, yeah, and it's less grim and nihilistic. And also, he's a bit
1: more rounded, isn't he? He's yeah. not like kind of just moaning a lot hmm. about his fate. He's yeah, like, get on with it. Yeah, yeah,
0: you're all right. It's less dark. It's less nihilistic, but. Now it's wrapped up, we've got that to come, of course. Yes. Which <laughs> was... we revert to classic Elric. Yeah, and they're the long. bits I remember as a kid. But really? even then, it's a hugely heightened oh, yeah, it's, version it's of Vengeful Elric. Bonkers, it's, isn't it? it's so over the top. Yeah. And again, that's what I remember as well. Yeah. Because I think we're similar in that our memories of this when when I first suggested that after Elric of Mel we don't skip to sail sailor on the seas of Fert, that we stick with it and do Fortress of the Pearl. I was doing it with a slight lump in my throat yeah, that we yeah, wouldn't get sail on the Caesar four, and, and and I think you were like, oh, do we have to?
1: Yeah, but the <laughs> thing is that reading that last that the book book three, so this bit we we're talking about, I don't remember any of that when no. I read it. I didn't remember like it was all it's all Baradia's dream yeah. manipulation. I didn't realize kind of all of the just the fact that she'd. It's basically Her and Una's kind of perceptual battle in yeah. in the Dreamlands and, yeah. and using Elric as this kind of heroic character mm. who was there to save. And, yeah. and it's it is quite interesting. And Elric does, you know, to be fair to him, fair to the lad. It's not been the dreams dreamland before, has he? No. So you know. You can in some ways a bit like, oh hey, hey, up. yeah. But he does yeah. It's probably the first time where Elric's not in charge, or the the SME to use a uh, <laughs> work phrase. Yeah, you know he
0: he's the kind of apprentice, isn't yeah. he? He's the moon. Girl. He's the companion. Yeah, yeah. In this totally, scenario, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Until we get to the end, <laughs> the end. <laughs> where oh, way up the grand finale. Yeah, which I a, think when I read this at the time, I probably didn't get all of this because that there's a point where and i'm still the same now if i'm reading a book that's i'm finding a slog i end up reading it robotically yeah, yeah. and i'm just w- scanning the words to get through it yeah and going ah this seems to be crapping on about some yeah yeah let, let's move it on so i think this the texture of this was wasted on idiotic 16 year old me oh whatever. yeah
1: and i think the fact is you know like this version which was the first Elric novel for a decade, yeah. and it was completely different because it yeah. was really thick. Yeah. And you you like, but normally, they're just like, you read them about, you know, yeah. a day, and now I've got to read proper, a <laughs> proper story. It's gone on
0: for ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. On to chapter three celebrations at the Silver Flower Oasis. They wake up back at the bronze tent. They do. There is much joyful weeping back at Glastonbury, mm. but with weeping. Yeah, lots of weeping.
2: Yeah,
0: Elric and Una. Basically, leave them all to it to get yep. reacquainted with the now awake holy girl. Yep. And we do get some really nice character work between the two of them as they're reflecting on their adventure. And I think to, to an extent, Una's reaction to him
1: saying he asked, Let's read it. We have a dream in common now, said Elric. His voice was gentle, full of affection. I think the memory will be a good one, Lady Una.
0: She reached to hold his face in her hands. You are wise, Prince Elric, and you are courageous. But there is a certain kind of ordinary experience you lack. I hope that you were successful in finding it.
1: This is why I wander this world, my lady, and leave my cousin Yerkoon as regent on the ruby throne. I am aware of more than one deficiency. I am glad we dreamed together, she said. You lost your true love, I think, Hewitt told her.
0: I am glad if I helped you ease the pain of that parting. She was baffled for a moment, then her brow cleared. You speak of Alnac Kreb. I was fond of him, my lord, but he was more a brother to me than a lover. Nowhere it became embarrassed. Forgive my presumption, Lady Una. She looked up into the sky. The blood moon had not yet waned. It cast its red rays onto the sand, onto the gleaming bronze of the tent, where Raik Nassim welcomed his daughter back to him. I do not love easily in the way you mean. Her voice was significant. She sighed. Do you still plan to return to Mel and your betrothed? I must, he said. I love her, and... Um... My duty lies in Emir, Sweet duty. Her tone was sarcastic and she took a step or two away from him. Her head bowed, her hand on her belt. She kicked at the dust, the colour of old blood. Elric had
1: disciplined himself against his heart's pain for too long. He could only stand and wait until she walked back to him. And now she was smiling. Well, Prince Elric, would you join the dream thieves and make this your living for a while? Elric shook his head. Is a calling which requires too much of me, my lady. Yet I am grateful for what this adventure has taught me, both about myself and about the world of dreams. I still understand only a little of it. I am still not wholly sure where we travelled or what we encountered. I do not know how much in the dream world was Lady Veradia's creation and how much was yours. It was as if I witnessed a battle of
0: inventors. And did I contribute? I do not know. Oh, without you, believe me, Prince Elric, I think I would have failed. You have seen so much of other worlds, and you have read more. It does not do to analyse too closely the creatures and places one encounters in the dream realm. But be assured, you made your contribution. More, perhaps, than you will ever know.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that battle of the inventors, Mm. just that's the book, isn't it? Yeah. It it reminds me as well, because Una is the main protagonist in it, it reminds me of Avenger of the Rose as well. Yeah. When Rose is the basically the instigator of the whole thing
0: as well. Mm, mm. It's I, I love the bit on that first page that we read where it says, You are wise, Prince Elric, and you are courageous, but there is a certain kind of ordinary experience you lack... <laughs> Yeah. I hope that you're successful in finding it. And basically says, well yeah, that's why that's what I'm trying to do on my gap year. Yeah. This is what I'm really trying to do. And it's it's really quite uh tragic that we know because we've read The Sailor on the Seas of Fate, yeah. that his gap year is a complete fucking failure. It's a disaster, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. an absolute disaster. Yeah. And it ends up essentially with him as we we you know we did the Dreaming City as our first proper episode. It ends up with a complete disaster, with the death of his betrothed, with the sack of his city, yeah. and even then, all of his mates who he got together to sack the city, most of them die horribly by yeah. dragon fire. Yeah. So that little bit, once you, once you know what's to come, is really quite sad because Elric is such a tragic character, but he, he has self-awareness about his failures and he has, in his own way, noble intentions.
1: Yeah, he's he's definitely more of a hero in this book. Yeah, I think, and and that's setting it up, isn't it, for later, where you know they always talk about Elric being an anti-hero. Yeah, but the stuff he the stuff he does, it's not really selfish selfishly motivated, is it?
0: No, and I don't know if anti-hero is even correct because it's not like he's evil. It's just his motivation. He, he, he can be though. It, well... But that's more driven by his, uh, yeah, okay, there's something about his culture where, well, he doesn't suffer fully, <laughs> does he? No. And and the fact that he has a, a necromantic sword, which is also very keen to get stuck in and yeah, yeah. fuck things up for him. You know, it's not an ideal situation. It doesn't
1: help. It's it's that thing of uh, certain people can be together in a, in a relationship and it's not good for either of them. Yeah. But
0: they're drawn together. Yeah. Him and Stormbringer. Yeah. Not ideal, is no, it? No, not at all. So the Baradim interrupt anyway and the celebrations and joy are unconfined. Oh, yeah. And there's, there's a couple of really fucking great paragraphs here. And I love it. It says, They had only walked a few more paces before they were lifted onto the shoulders of the crowd. And soon they were born laughing and infected by the general joyousness over the desert towards the silver flower oasis. And again, this, this feeds into this yeah. very different perspective on Elric as, as a genuine hero. Yeah, yeah. The celebrations began at once, as if the Baradim and all the other desert clans had been preparing for this moment. Every kind of delicious food was prepared until the air was rich with an enormous variety of mouth-watering smells, and it seemed all the great spice warehouses of the world had been made to release their contents. Cooking fires blazed everywhere, as did great brands and lamps and candles, and from out of the Caspar Mool or Cariz, overlooking the great oasis, rode the alum guardians in all the glory of their ancient armour, their red-gold helmets and breastplates, their weapons of bronze and brass and steel. They had huge forked beards and massive turbans wound around the spikes of their helms. They wore surcoats of elaborate brocade and cloth of silver, and their high boots were embroidered with designs almost as intricate as those on their shirts. They were proud, good-humoured men who rode at the sides of their wives who were also armoured and carried bows and slender spears. All had soon mingled with the enormous crowd who had erected a large platform and placed a carved chair upon it, and sat the smiling Viradia in the chair so that all could see the holy girl of the Baradim restored to her clan, bringing back their history, their pride, and their future. I love that. Sometimes I read stuff and I can almost taste and smell it so badly I want to be there. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic.
1: Who are these guardian fellas, What they've been up to? Exactly, they're just thrown in, are just, just a bit of detail. Yeah, thought,
0: I haven't described any funky clothes for a while. Yeah, let's lob let's these. Get some in out. there. Yeah, they're massive turbans. Yeah, brilliant. right, Nassim's seems still still crying. He's he did. So stopped, he? No, nope, he's so pleased to have them back. He's thanking Elric and Una, and he makes a promise too. He does. He says. Your names will be remembered by the Balradim for all time, and whatever favour you shall ask of us, so long as it be honourable, as we know it shall, then we shall grant it to you. If you are in danger ten thousand miles away, you will send a message to the Balaradim, and they will come to your aid. Meanwhile you must know that you have freed the spirit of a good hearted child from dark captivity. Now I've got to say, I know this is written after the majority of the Elric stories, but if only he'd actually uh, yeah. drawn on that favour. Yeah, it could have come in handy on quite a few occasions. Yeah, exactly. And Elric quips... He, Nassim offers them gold and riches and treasures, but Elric quips that there's a dude back in Quasar's heart yeah. that's promised him half an empire if he delivers <laughs> yeah. the pearl. Yeah. Mm, I wonder if he's as good as his promise. We'll soon find out. But he also asks Elric if he was able to sustain himself in the dream realm without pain. Mm. And suddenly it dawns on Elric that he realises the benefits of being out of his body rather than out of his head on Elixir's herbs it, and other bits and pieces, and even the souls of the slain. He's experienced during the dream realm this period of healthiness and a feeling and of calm, being... Yeah, and, yeah, and calm and being, and being free of it all. And I, th- I think that's another really lovely bit that's really um, a great Elric moment where he, he, for just a period of time, he forgot how frail and weak and ill he tends to be. Yeah. He loves it and, and and he views this as, so this is what ordinary life is like to not be this guy who relies on false means. So it's quite identifiable, isn't it? Because, you know, I'm in my 50s now. I'm on various types of medication <laughs> <laughs> in, order to, in order to survive day by day. And there are times when, I think, I mean, I suppose in, in a way it's it's inverse, but do you ever think back to the days? I do. But do you ever think back to the days when we were skint in our early 20s, but we were able to game whenever we wanted and get 10 people around <laughs> a table and, yeah. and play a, a game? Scrape up enough dosh to get either some weed or eight cans of a rangy boom or some carbon white, and about the most stressful thing we had to do every fortnight was sign on. Mm. I do. I think back to those days, and I realize it's a rose-tinted retrospective, and probably cuts out all the shit bits.
1: Oh, yeah, of course it is. The <laughs> uh, mind-numbing <laughs> tedium, <Yeah. laughs> the, the, the depression of not. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it not great. I think, but also, what just just when you when you're talking about all that stuff about Elric, how different a hero is that to yeah. most books. Yeah. The fact that you, it's it's probably more the The kind of flawed hero is probably a bit more so now, but mm. at, the, at the time you know you, you've got this guy who, who as you said, needs something to survive, yeah, whether it's a sword or yeah. all these herbs or this, and this is the first time he's for in his life he's been all right
0: yeah this is so, the you, the weird thing about reading this book now is I know a lot of people say. And there's a lot of friends of this podcast who've said it as well that when they were reading Elric stories in their teens, they really identified with the Elric character as oh, yeah. being, you know, an outcast with issues and problems and the whole goth emo angle yeah, yeah, there was of, of Elric. Well, there? Yeah. But I identify with this Elric. I identify with this Elric who, as opposed to all of the other heroic characters who are always fit and vital and overcome all the problems. And if they are afflicted, it's usually a temporary... Apart from Corum. No, but I mean non-Bocock yeah, yeah. characters yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in heroic fantasy. If they are afflicted, it's a temporary thing that they're cured of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Elric is permanently afflicted. He uses a variety of crutches and supports. But for this brief moment... In this book, when he's with Una in the dream realms and for a short time afterwards, he feels completely lifted of all of this. And it takes someone to ask, how are you feeling? Yeah. That is like,
1: oh shit. Which makes the juxtaposition of the last chapter yes,
0: so slightly different. Yeah, yeah. So El- Elric lounges under a pine tree with Una, acknowledging the temptation to live in a more simple reality that his own. On his own, and you know, fair play, I say to that. But destiny must draw him forward. He must go back. He feels uh, an obligation to the boy and I. But well,
1: he did before that, though. Uh, Una mm. takes away some of his pain out of his mm. dream, which is really nice. Yeah. So she basically takes takes away some of his worst dreams, mm. and the dream. Thief began to sing. She sang a lullaby. She sang of a sickly child and a grieving father. She sang of happiness found in simple things. And Elric slept. And that, so she's taken away some of the pain mm. that he feels about her, about mm. his father. Mm. And his father is never there. And he blames Elric for killing his true love, etc. Yep. So that's quite a nice bit, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And it says, he, when he woke the next morning, it was with a light heart and an easy conscience, and only the faintest memories of his adventures in the Dream Realms. A continuing affection for Una, and a determination to reach Kwajdashar as soon as possible, and take to Lord Go what Lord go most desired in all the world. Yeah, and Una's like, yeah, good character. Yeah, it's it's really great. Yeah. And Una offers him the pearl. Yeah. And she gives it to him willingly. Which is quite surprised by, but she says, "You know, you know what? This was a, a product of the dream. It was a product, technically, of the people of Quasarart and used yeah. to inflict pain, take it back." And she rides with him partway to Heart. Chapter four: Certain matters resolved in Quasarart. <laughs> Down straight there. The, the <laughs> oh, yeah. resolved. Hello. Yeah. Eric arrives and is knackered. He's out of elixir. Oh. He's ready to drop. He looks terrible. He doesn't looks he? terrible. Lord Garfarsi greets him. He's still a massive, oily, bearded wanker. He is, to be fair. He's like a hirsute Christopher Biggins. He is, yeah, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> but Elric's weakness—it's a ploy. It's just a ploy, and uh, he exacts a pretty terrifying revenge.
2: Furious anger. Yeah.
0: He gives Lord Gar the pearl, and he says, "Right, so where's half? Where's my half? This empire." Yeah. Lord Gar realizes that. He doesn't need the elixir anymore. It's like, ah, oh, whatever. He did for a bit though. He taunts him quite he does a bit, taunt doesn't him, he? He does. He's he's been a wanker. Yeah. And he basically says, "Oh no, the elixir was enough. You don't need all the money. Yep. You're not a local. You're not one of us. But, you weren't getting out.
1: But please, when Elric's like lying down and Go thinks he's in charge, Elric yep. starts taunting him a bit, And he? He's yep. like, uh, "The worm is so proud to be the king of the dung hill." Yeah. Which is brilliant. Yeah. Which which is making Lord Go a bit cross. Yeah.
0: I think Lord goes taunts to him as well are quite good. Greetings, greetings, Elric of Nat Greetings, White First Clown Feet. <laughs> <laughs> Clown going well hit you <laughs> so <laughs> hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh but you know, Elric is he's, he's just sandbagging.
1: Yeah. He's he's well done him like a kipper, isn't he?
0: He has. And he essentially makes Lord Go attempts to swallow the pearl. Giving
1: him the elixir to wash it down. Yeah,
0: which at this point we realise the pearl is still of quite some size because when Veradia realises back in the Dream Realms and the kill all the sorcerer adventurers, she smashes the big pearl Yeah, and there's still like a fist-sized pearl inside. There is. So this is what Elric makes Lord go try to swallow. Unsuccessfully, sadly. It, it, well, not sadly, but yeah. You know, the, the, this chapter might be one of my favourites in all of the Elric saga because... Even though Lord Go is a little bit panto he is he's a little bit vicious panto, Elric in full on vengeful angel of death mode <laughs> as he brutally punishes Goh for his duplicity, even then he still gives the council one last chance to parley. He does. Which of course they spurn in their absolute arrogance. To cut worse well, it's, it's a fairly short chapter. It to is. cut a short story short, he slaughters the lot of them plus all of the guards, plus all the rest of the sorcerer adventurers, and then goes to rampage through the city, killing anybody he comes across.
1: Yeah, basically. uh...
0: Anybody who doesn't flee, he butchers and devotes their blood and souls to his Lord Lord Ariok. And then when he's done, and when Stormbringer is sated, he just throws the pearl in a gutter.
1: He does. So, I mean, it was like... uh... It was a slaughter to make all other events pale into insignificance. <laughs> it was a slaughter that would never be forgotten in all the annals of the desert peoples, who'd learn of it from those who fled Quazatat that night, flinging themselves into the waterless desert rather than face the white laughing demon yeah. on a Berardi horse, yeah. who galloped up and down their lovely streets and taught them what price of complacency and thinking
0: cruelty could be. Yeah. It's quite full on, isn't it? It's it's full on. It's Elric on steroids. Yeah. It's vengeful Elric on steroids. It the the some really nice bits were the council still think that Nibonet sunk. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's and they insult him a bit. And the, they insult him. And but Elric essentially he finishes the war. The war between Quasarshart and Nibonet kind of ground to a halt, and a thousand years went by, and Elric concludes the war. By besting everybody,
1: yeah. yeah, he did not look back at the city, which, in the name of
0: his ancestors, had been conquered at last uh, yeah. on his own. Yeah, so we will say it earlier on, you know, is is Elric actually evil? There is a line. Here. It says he killed without mercy, without distinction, without cruelty. He killed as a mad wolf kills, and as he killed, he laughed.
1: So it's quite. You know, yeah, okay. So he has his
0: moments. Yeah, he's I think it's fair to say. Yeah, he's a mm-hmm. uh, bit of a wronger. And that's essentially the end. But Except, it, but wait one minute, hang on a minute, five, an epilogue at the waning of the blood moon. This is essentially Una hearing of his vengeance and being sad, but she does have a fascinating exchange with Viradia she does. about the nature of dreams and creation, and how the pearl came to be a real thing. Una paused and looked down into the water, which reflected the faint pink disc of the moon. An oyster, threatened by intrusion from without, seeks to isolate that threat by forming the thing around it that eventually becomes a pearl. Sometimes, this is how it happens. But other times, the will of humanity is so strong, the desire for something so intense, that they will bring into existence that which was thought until then to be impossible. It's not unusual, Viradia, for a dream to be made reality. This knowledge is one of the reasons why my respect for humanity is maintained. In spite of all the cruelties and injustices I witness in my travels. "'I think I understand,' said the holy girl. "'Oh, you will understand all of this very soon,' Una assured her, "'for you are one of those capable of such creation.' A few days later, Una was ready to ride away from the Silver Flower Oasis towards Elwar and the unmapped East. Veradia spoke to her for the last time. "'I know you have a further secret,' she said to the dream thief. "'Will you not share it with me?' Una was astonished. Her regard for the girl's sensitive intelligence increased. "'Do you want to talk more about the nature of dreams and reality?' I think you carry a child, Una, said Veradia directly. Is that not so? Una folded her arms and leaned against her horse. She shook her head in frank good humour. It is true that all the wisdom of your people is accumulated in you, young woman. The child of one you have loved and who is lost to you? "Ay," said Una. A daughter, I think. Maybe even a brother and sister, if the omens are properly interpreted. More than pearls can be conceived in dreams, Viradia. And with the father, ever know his offspring? Gently asked the holy girl. Una tried to speak and discovered that she could not. She looked away quickly towards distant chart. Then, after a few moments, she was able to force herself to answer. Never, she said.
2: Uh, OMG!
0: Oh, what? 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 Basically setting up the Moonbeam Roads trilogy. Which, weirdly... When was this? Was this? This was late eighties, wasn't it? Uh, my... When did Dream Thief's Daughter come out? Oh, that was way later. I was like, so this this is planting the seed for something that might, probably came out about fifteen years later.
1: This one's nineteen ninety.
0: Yeah. Nineteen
1: eighty nine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I'm, I'm pretty sure Dream Thief's Daughter was. It was definitely nineties. It was late. Yeah. It's Almost two
1: thousand. I think? think it was two thousand. Because he did that thing with Storm.
0: Constantine.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say Silver Yeah. Silverheart, yeah. Supposed to be a computer game,
0: wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So it sets up what's now labeled as the Moonbeam Rods trilogy in the Galax collection, all of which I think have undergone name changes. Yeah. I think originally it was the Dream Thief's Daughter, or was it White Wolf's Son? White Wolf's Son. It was White Wolf's Son that was relabeled the Dream Thief's Daughter. Yeah. Scrailing Tree was re- relabeled the Albino in America, which is a much worse name. It's terrible. And right? then I think it might have been relabeled again. Yeah,
1: it's got to be Scrailing Tree. I've not read
0: Scrawling Tree. Yeah. Never. And the, and the third one, I uh, forget the... The third one was the one with Hot Moon in it. Yes. yes. Yeah, Hot sure. Moon and Hitler and various other craziness. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah.
1: They had the Von Becks in there. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And, of course, they comprise the third volume in the Saga Editions. Right, yeah, okay. So the Saga Editions, Volume 1, which is the one I'm reading from, is El- Elric of Melniboné up to... Let's have a look. Elric of Melniboné. Fortress of the Pearl, Sailor and the Seas of the White Wolf, plus One Life Furnished in Early Moorcock by Neil Gaiman as an intro. Good story. And um, The Elric Saga, a Reader's Guide by John Davy as uh, as an extra, which is great. The second volume, which I have over there, is everything else up to Stormbringer. And then the third volume, which is the massivest, is the Moonbeam Roads trilogy. So okay. that's The Elric Saga. And then, of course, unhelpfully he goes and produces another novel, which yeah. now has to sit separately and fit between volumes one and two, so the entire Elric saga <laughs> has already got Wrong. got one that doesn't fit in, yeah. but slots in between. So that's pretty cool. But final thoughts on so to the Pearl. One
1: One thing before we go to final thoughts, mm-hmm. I just want to, uh, in the interest of bringing in like, modern technology to the podcast, uh-huh. I put in earlier today in chat GPT, uh, write me a quick summary of book three of Fortress of the Pearl. Uh-huh. All right, so first thing that came back was, with was uh, Hawkmoon was <laughs> uh, fighting King Juan, but didn't bear any, any resemblance to the actual stories. Yeah. So when, yeah, Hawkmoon isn't in Fortress of the Pearl, it's Elric, he was like, yeah, sorry about that. What I meant to say was Elric... Uh, was fighting Philip Carner and <laughs> the best bit for me was some spider-like beings called the Bad <laughs> oh. My last question to Chap GPT is mm. Do you actually know anything about this book? <laughs> and he came back and go, No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. So, so I was trying to like do a quick right cribbit for me, just so I've got some very quick notes. And in the end it was like Nah, sorry, I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, okay, What, so I've,
1: uh, what I've done is just like grabbed anything I can find on the internet to with MoCock. Yeah. Put it into one story, which doesn't
0: make any sense. Right. Therefore, we reject ChatGPT so as I, a tool.
1: So AI for Michael MoCock podcasting yeah. purposes, that's a strong no from me. Okay. Back to the book.
0: Yeah. Final thoughts, I mean, we've already said to a degree how our opinions of it may have changed.
1: Oh, totally changed, yeah. I think even reading the last kind of book changes my opinion on on it. Mm. I think it's a really interesting take on Elric. I still think it would probably be a better book if Una was the main character in it. Which she still probably is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I kind of enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Some some of it was very sluggish and
0: plodding. I think. Yeah. Oh, here's some fire beetles. Yeah. yeah. yeah here's some it. snout first women.
1: Yeah. Here's a rabbit dude with trousers. I'll,
0: not the rabbit dude with trousers. Well, we like him. I love the rabbit but dude with trousers. We don't need him, do we? I think it's sad that he was done and yeah, dusted in a page and half. Yeah. Earth, he, if he, that. Yeah. He he he
1: came be shouted he got killed. But I think from from an Elric kind of character perspective it was good. I think Mm. it kind of changed him a lot. And it's probably it's the only well, apart from the first book, it's the only book where he's not got a Stormbringer all the way through it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I really, really like it. Um and my opinion of it is completely transformed by this reread. And unlike some others which I read at the time, then maybe reread in the nineties. Or even the early mm. 2000s. So some of them I might have not have read for 15 or 20 years. I know the second Corum trilogy I definitely read about 10 years ago. Maybe even yeah. slightly less. But this is definitely one I haven't read since it came out. No, same here. Definitely. Or re-read since yeah. it came out. And my opinion of it is completely done a 180. Uh, and I really dug it. I think it's great. And it's funny. when um, In the early days of the podcast, I had uh, Nathan Guljaz on. And... He was the Australian guy who records um, like power metal under the name Corum. Oh yeah. And I remember having a conversation about him when we were talking about it and he said Fortress of the Pell was the first Mocock book he ever read and it sucked him into Mocock. Yeah. And at the time I think I remember thinking, Holy shit, if Fortress of the Pearl had been the first Mocock I'd ever read, I might not have ever read any more. Yeah, possibly, yeah. But you know what? I've gotta say now, I, I kind of see where he was coming from. It's it's just a really, really skillful in some ways, deconstruction of of the tropes of Heroic Fantasy, but also his own tropes that he relies on so much and it's quite playful. And uh, yeah, I really dug it. Yeah. And I, I, I think having read book three again, I could probably if I had the time, I could probably go back to the beginning, reread it and probably get more out of it. Yeah, I again. think
1: so. I think the fact that you know, if the entire book is based yeah, especially the Dream Worlds, is too People trying to manipulate reality. Yeah, it makes it a lot more interesting. And now it just goes. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, Uh like uh, Yeah, as yeah. Long as that, so
0: have we got, Am I actually being useful here? Yeah, as long as I don't got know. voluminous pantaloons. <laughs> I'm all right. You know.
1: Yeah, but and and the kind of the the other side of it, it's a bit more interesting. Kind of some of the kind of mythology and setting is a bit more Eastern, isn't it, as mm. well? Yeah, it reminds me of Dune in that kind of yeah, yeah. that aspect, which, you know, it takes it completely away from European yes. middle-age, middle-ages mm. kind of setting, doesn't it? Yeah. Gives a bit of colour to it. Yeah. A bit Glastonbury, but you can imagine it visually, it's a lot more interesting, I think. So yeah, it's quite can, vivid, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you can imagine certain scenes really vividly... And cinematic would mm. look really good. The still bits are a bit plodding mm. for me, but I enjoyed it so much more. Mm.
0: Yeah, a so lot better. I mean, Murak's probably written this one. He's knocking on fit, the door of fifty. Yeah, it's mean, certainly in his late forties, and it's
1: was it the first time he'd gone back to write an Elric story though? It was
0: yeah since, since it's the eighties. Said first Elric in ten years, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it must so, be since the eighties. Yeah,
1: and probably the eighties was probably Elric at the end of time or something. Yeah, yeah. Random like that. It yeah. wasn't kind of... It was probably short stories or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his first novel for, yeah, ten years. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and he's probably gone back to what makes... He might have gone back and gone, what makes Elric interesting as a character? And, you know, how can you play on
0: that, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? Or, or it could be that he's been writing his Colonel Pyatt sequence. Yeah. And some other things like Mother London and stuff like that and his publisher said you know what we need a bestseller yeah, yeah. because whilst those books are good books they won't sell in the same volumes as an no. Elric novel so perhaps his publisher said you know what give us an Elric novel and he's like well alright but I'll do it on my own terms Yeah. and I'm going to have some fun with it
1: yeah yeah well totally but that's what he's always said isn't it mm-hmm. if, if he that's his bestselling character Yeah. so he will do that yeah know? yeah and so, why
0: not you know? yeah yeah exactly Absolutely. fair play to him yeah so, that was The Force of the Pell. It was. And I think we need to just have a few words on that Dream Realms supplement for the Elric yes, of Melniboné yes. role-playing game. <laughs> yeah, so I gave it a K3 glance. I've got half of.
1: Counts. yeah
0: um i've I've managed to get my last half into my glass, so I'm determined to chew my way through it um even though for the most part I'm saying stuff it up your ass, Cthulhu <laughs> <to an IPL. laughs>
1: you massive nobody yeah. right yeah. so think two things yeah. if we if we purchase so the dream world as a role playing kind of arena yeah. landscape. And
0: then mongoose, what are you want about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got two points, and the first one is very similar in that I think the Dream Realms is a really, really great setting for gaming for my style of GMing. You think? Yes, because <laughs> oh, I'm a lazy <laughs> because I'm a lazy GM. Yeah. Okay. And making shit up on the fly. Yeah. Suits my style of GMing, and for stuff like this. Making shit up on the fly that's dreamy and weird,
2: yeah, I would work. That. Yeah, I can right? kind of
0: get that. So you know, you remember the the um, the game I ran where it was things like the plane of faces, which was just a plane literally of tiny ceramic yes. faces, <laughs> yeah, that's like, weird. Too. Um, that crunched underfoot, and it was only when you looked at them that you realised that they were actually distinct faces. Made that up on the spot would be perfect it for would. this kind of crap. It would,
1: yeah, right. Well, that would work for Corum as well. It
0: would. It would work for all sorts of different things. It yeah. would work for any kind of travelogue through distant, yeah. through weird realms or different yeah. planes, which is super, super more cocky. Where the mongoose thing gets it wrong, absolutely dead wrong, is when you get to like almost a bestiary page and it's got a stat block for snout first women. Yes. And then it's a description: snout first women occupy this the, the land of snod or or whatever. Yeah.
1: It's like no, no mongoose. But the thing is, that's because
0: some people cannot make shit up. So- In that case, Mongoose, give us a couple of tables with to randomly generate freaky dream yeah, yeah. denizens. Don't just say snout-first women who were part of the Hurley Girl's dream. Don't yeah. make the assumption that snout-first women are a fixture of every version of the land of love. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you completely misunderstand the point but, the I, dream but I think kind of the dream,
1: dream. If you playing a dream thief, yeah, for example, it's quite hard to mechanize it, isn't it? If you play that type of game, some of that invention needs to come from the player. Yeah. So basically, you're a dream thief, right? Let's collaborate on it. Mm. What's the land? Because the realm's are the same no matter what, don't they? In structure, yeah. so it's the land of my Mad- blah, blah 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 blah. I can't remember what they're called. They're all rock. Yeah,
0: we yeah, went through this. Yeah. yeah, just rewind. Yeah, but I keep yeah. thinking of the land of Sodor, but that's Thomas the Tank yeah, Engine world. But
1: yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, why not? But but you've got yeah, Meriadore, all that kind of shit. Yeah, but it's right. Okay, so if you give player agency, so what does it look like?
0: Well, this is why I, we have these modern storyteller type yeah. games, narrative games, don't we? And Swords of the Serpentine follows this route where it's it encourages the players to contribute creatively. All the
1: gumshoe stuff does, because I yeah. play it a lot. Yeah. So
0: we do that a lot. Yeah, I suppose I reference Swords of the Serpentine just because it's fantasy, yeah. It's fantasy yeah, and yeah. It claims some more cocky and lineage. Yeah. yeah. So that, that would that would play really, really well. But even if you've got characters who are not entirely comfortable doing that, like frankly, the people we game with when we game first to first here. Yeah. yeah. They don't necessarily buy into that so much unless it's something like Tales from the Loop where they can identify with being a child yeah, yeah. in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. For example. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or the Ramsey game we did right. years ago with Stu, Sarah and yeah. um Yaki. Yeah. Which was again, we could all identify eighties, with what it was like yeah, to yeah. be yeah. teenagers in the eighties. Yeah, so true. it was easy. It was yeah, easy yeah. to do that. I think having this situation where there are no boundaries and and the sky is the limit in terms of your imagination would make that more of a struggle. Did you ever play Cthulhu
1: Dreamlands?
0: No. I, I haven't either. L- but love the supplement. The second edition supplement, never read I think, it. is much better than the box set was. It's got a lot more stuff in there. But yeah, it's really good. But it's a similar kind of thing. Yeah, so if you're going to do Call of Cthulhu Dreamlands, you know... The Dreamlands do have like the Dreamlands are different to yeah, so this because they're established and there's yeah. structure. Then there's a map. And there's a map. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but still, lots and lots of latitude to say this part of the moon. Yeah. Rabbits with bottle green breeks, whatever, yeah. and kettles for helmets. Fuck yeah. it, why not? Yeah,
1: you know, bring all that stuff in there. So you're saying you you need? It depends. It depends on the GM and it all depends on the players whether you have like a. Randomizer—it's not even a randomizer. It's almost like a, a tiered randomizer, isn't it? So yeah,
0: I, I would have had an easier time with that Dream Realm supplement if instead of just saying, "Oh look, snout first women." N- no, knocking anybody who produces role playing supplement no, because no, right. it's you know hard it's, work. it's hard work. There's a lot of effort goes into it, but I, I just think it does tie into what we've said time and time and time again that the role playing industry, for me, fails to get more. more cock. Cock. Totally, yeah yeah. And this is this is another great example. If they'd have come up with some tables to randomly generate weird denizens of the dream realms, yeah. So you could just think, well, you know, my imagination's running a bit dry today. I'm going to roll some dice, and oh look, I have come up with I don't know, forest of bones, Pre-buttocked...
1: yeah. But it's it's that thing, parapins, whatever, you know. It's that thing of Mocott when he when he was talking about writing about coming up with evocative. Mm. Kind of descriptions where you join two things that shouldn't be together, yeah. So it's the city of screaming statues, for yeah. example, you know, yeah, Forrester Bone. Well, yeah, he he comes up with it all the time, and it's yeah. almost like, right, what have you got? Yeah, I mean, the, for for me, visually, the, with Fortress of the Pearl, the steps thing really didn't work for me on a number of levels mm. cause it was, it was almost in my head, uh, like a. Bosch kind of painting, yeah. yeah. But it it took it. I know it's not supposed to be realistic, but it just took me out of it slightly. So yeah. if that was in a game, I'd be like, right. So we've got like a thousand foot staircase yeah. or something. And sometimes it's quite hard for people to visualise. Yeah, I, I've had that before playing with, with people online and stuff
0: like that. You know, I don't get it. Yeah, I think I think stuff like that's fine if you, if you describe the immediacy of if, what if, if why. you if you lead with. Yeah, it's a thousand yeah league high flight of steps.
1: What you see below you is
0: various cities. Yeah, nestled. That, in the that's volume. a bit trickier. But but if you lead with you know a description of the more immediate circumstances and surroundings, and then you develop it and say, you you look up, you know, you look up and you realize that actually this is just one layer of you know it could almost be like a, a ring world like Larry Niven's ring yeah. world. If you describe to the players. You're on the Ring World, yeah, and the the total surface area of the Ring World is the equivalent of ten thousand Earths. Yeah, it's just it's it's too much. It's too big. It's too vague. It's too wide, and players won't get a sense or a feeling of it. But if you establish the situation where they're in a weird fucking forest of giant mushrooms that are hundred and twenty feet tall, and there's these um, sunflowers, these vast sunflowers if they turn on you, they reflect the light and it incinerates you and establish the threat. But actually that other stuff is broader detail but more distant and it's something that they're aware of and that's the vast scale of the world but you've established that on top of the immediate scale of what's around them. I think that's fine. Yeah. I think that's that's fine because it's only the same as saying... It's D and D, sometimes. Yeah, so the same as saying you know you're in this village, but actually this village is part of a much broader world and a bigger cosmos. Yeah, but if, so, but, but yeah. if you say to the players, right, you're in this fucking massive cosmos with forty seven realms. Yeah. And and it's like, Ugh. yeah.
1: What? I, I don't know. I think for for me, the it's weird with the dreamlands because it's like whose whose vision of the dreamlands is it? Yeah. Is is it the dream thief or is it is the dream thief interpreting reality? themselves.
0: So, so the, the dream thief is manipulating the situation Matter. of the dreamland, yeah. which is, as we know, because Una is able to actually create children in her own womb yeah, based upon things that are going on in the dreamlands, which is like a remarkable level of, of power. And that's why I said earlier on is that in a way, when she talks about she won't betray the girl, but she'll betray Elric if necessary, is taking the stuff of Elric. And creating a child or children in her own uh, womb without consent? Yeah. Is that a form of betrayal? But that kind of, you know, blows open the fact that the actual dream world itself, a GM, could establish the dream world and all the contents of it. The players, the dream thieves, then use their power, skills, imagination, whatever, to manipulate the stuff of the dream world. And I think that's a really enticing. It's an interesting possibility. Thought. I just don't think the rules do it, but yeah. Oh fuck! Yeah, the, the, the supplements. No, no. they do not work at all. And the second thing that my observation was, it's got tables of firearms. Yes, because, it's got because fucking guns it in it. It
1: interpreted. It works, well, so it's included the middle marches, yeah, isn't it, or the middle marcher, or whatever. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and also the uh, Moonbeam Roads trilogy, where you've got Nazis with machine guns. Yeah, the Von Becks. That's all fine. You know, let them have guns. But don't uh, have a fucking table of... Uh, yeah. Oh, no. No.
1: It's the equivalent of the the worst thing for me, because obviously I run Hawkmoon for years, but yeah. I did my homebrew, on it, and I bought Shattered Isle. Mm. And just went... Shit, we've talked about that before, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, and it was like, well, you've got helicopters fighting... Because somebody went, helicopters fighting uh, ornithopters would be brilliant. It's like, yeah. no, it'd be shit. It'd be terrible. Yeah. Because it's completely
0: wrong. But this is another brilliant example, isn't it? If yeah. if, the, if you're doing a game in Tragic Millennium Europe, yeah, we know that you can just you can, you can walk for five miles and oh look a throbbing bridge. Yeah, exactly. We cross the throbbing bridge and we get high and it makes us feel miles better. Yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So if you're going to do stuff, create mad shit. Yeah, create yeah. mad yeah. shit and weird science. And, and even if you can't think of mad go shit, go crazy.
1: Just have like you know if you're going to have something you want to fight. So like, a did it, didn't he? Right. We've got ornithopters, brilliant. They're a bit erratic, all that, but, but that's how yeah. they've basically controlled Europe. Yeah. How do you fight them? Um, massive fucking flamingos. That's right. Brilliant. That's right.
0: Not helicopters. But so- someone is writing uh, a supplement for the Hartman Railplane Games. It's like, oh, well, what I really want to write is a post apocalyptic game where people can find a bunker in Ireland full of Bradley fighting vehicles and Apache helicopters. Yeah.
1: That was the whole problem about Mohawk. And the, even some of the French Markov stuff, mm. sorry, the French Hawkmoon stuff, mm. was they were treating it as a post-apocalyptic game mm-hmm. as opposed to tragic millennium. Mm. It's the fact that it's fantasy. You've mm. got people riding fucking not unicorns but mm. horned horses. You've yeah. got you've got your mutants, but yep. you don't call them mutants because no, you got, them because it takes it out of the whole. Yeah, if you if you read it like. A post-apocalyptic book it it'd be shit yeah but the fact that all the fantasy around the haunt moon stuff was ace because mm. it's like you've got all of the different names you've yeah. got the Camargue. i mean the Camargue's like you know we it's spelt different but we all know it's south of france and we yeah. know it's marsh yeah oh no they've got the white horses there he just went right what would be really ace is the camarg for some reason count brass lives there yeah. brilliant the horses are horned. Count Brass has got loads of sauce, you know... Weird towers. Weird towers. Mm-hmm. He's got his guardians, but he's got also got... So what's the command got? Flamingos. Right, let's have massive flamingos. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. Not, let's fight an ornithopter with a helicopter,
0: because yeah. it's fucking bollocks. Well, and even when they do find ancient technology in Hawkmoon, yeah. it's a giant steel and chrome... Weird robot monster tiger monster. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a fucking tank. And the mutant war jaguars. Mutant brilliant. war jaguars of Asia Communista. Brilliant. The greatest new wave of British heavy metal album never released. Yeah, yeah. but
1: the fact that Asia Communista was just made up. Yeah, which is brilliant as well. Yeah, yeah, it's like it was just like this enemy that nobody knew about. Yeah, and it's a stupid name. Yeah, but we'll go with it. But it's great. Yeah, it's lovely. I love it. But it goes back to yeah, dream ones. If you did it. You wouldn't use the mongoose rules, no. no. And it would be a totally different game to Stormbringer, or was was it Stormbringer? The pot, the mongoose one. What was it? Called? Uh, Elric of Melniboné. There was yeah. two versions. Yeah, there? there was.
0: And that's the thing about doing something like this. If if you were playing a game set in the Young Kingdoms, you know, use whatever system, use whatever fantasy system. It don't matter. But yeah. the moment you cross the line into the Dream Realms, dump that system. Yeah. Dump BRP. Yeah. Altogether, just dump it because the rules of the dream realms are the rules of the inverted commas real world. So just fucking dump it and um, use something else. I
1: think they were almost thinking it was the equivalent of like Elwhere and the Eastern Kingdoms, just somewhere else to adventure. Yeah, but it doesn't work. So it's no, that's exactly separate, how they approached it.
0: Yeah, completely separate thing,
1: mm. and that's. That's why it was wrong.
0: Yeah, and the other bad thing about it, it's that terrible mongoose grayscale period, <laughs> yeah. which just destroys my eyes, and I can't yeah. cope with it. And but the,
1: anyway. pro- the problem is the covers were ace, yeah. but the, the... Yeah, yeah, it
0: was yeah. Just There the is riot. good stuff in there, but... In, in some of the mongoose stuff, but yeah, it's, it's uh, highly problematic, a lot of it for me. But nobody's ever got it right. For me, something rules light and simple. Um, we've got uh, black hack, black sword hack, Ultimate Chaos Edition now, which is the second edition of Black Sword Hack. you got lovely. That? Yeah, lovely, rules light, simple, straightforward, very good. And also, i got the Mornblade starter set. Because we, we did say, didn't we, we would run one each. We did. And a few weeks ago, Goran Gligovich, who did the art for Black Sword Hack second edition, and I also did those imaginary Elric storyboards which you may have seen. Oh, his, they were brilliant. His yeah, Twitter they were account. really good. He okay. popped into Derry and Tom's a couple of weeks ago, and we yeah, had a good chat. And one of the things that he's up for... He's never played a role-playing game in his life. Right. One of the things he's up for is playing a game. Excellent. To see what it's all about. So, we'll revisit that yeah, at some point. Yeah, definitely, So, yes, we did say that. And the, the Marmblade starter set, um, again, I've given it a cursory glance, and it looks okay. It looks interesting enough. The flavour is good. But... You Know, I think the proof is in the pudding at the end of the day, yeah. The proof is in the
1: or we just ignore that and just pick another system. Oh, we do that, yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: So, to wrap up, then, Porsche the Pell, very good. I read from the Saga Press, Helric of Mel Volume One edition, and I read from the um, the old paperback, the old paperback, which is
1: still holding together.
0: It really is. Did you have not read these? it enough? <laughs> yeah, did you ever pick these up?
1: No. Mine's the Grafton Books oh, version. Yeah. And I really love the the
0: cover on this. The it's, cover is really It's good. brilliant. Of the, the Fortress. Yeah. yeah it's, is that the Fortress of the Pearl or is it the Quadrat- fortress- Art?
1: It's Fortress of the Pearl. The only reason I have to read it again because it's mountains in the background. Uh, yes. Because I think we, we had that conversation, didn't we? We did. Well, I really like the artwork on that. It's really yeah, good. Yeah. So that's...
0: Yeah. Yeah, good, good. Well, a couple of recent developments. One is I, I came to a realisation that as we've been going... Uh, three and a half years and we have our patron demons who subscribe at the uh, the patron demon level they get things like you know mail outs uh, duplicate copies of books and they get the copies of the journal it occurred to me that there are some people who've been patrons for such a long time at the other tiers they've actually contributed significantly to the upkeep of this podcast, which has been great. And some of them, I decided that we should have a threshold, which was that even if they were at the highest contribution level as a patron, that actually if they cross a threshold, then they'll get copies of the journal, whatever, we just had to mail out. And actually there were three patrons who have actually crossed that threshold. So we're sending out mail-outs to them as well. Cool. And they are, I think they're both at Jugadero level, all three Jugadero level. But they've crossed that threshold. But also, I thought that because we just passed 60,000 downloads on Podbean, which doesn't account for everything, Yeah. because some of it you can't track. But I thought, we, when we did our reflections on two and a, half, two and a bit years of podcast, a couple of years ago it was only 25,000, we're now up to 60,000. I thought, well, you know, as we've passed 60,000 downloads, and as you are the original OG co-host on Breakfast in the Ruins that your 60,000 download prize is a complete set of Saga Press Editions
1: that's beautiful man so there you go thanks mate there for you
0: that's amazing. I'm passing them to you and putting them in your hands, but of course we can put them back on the table. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, no, no worries. It's really cool. Thank you for being such a quality co-host no, and coming my, along on the journey. my favourite Stormbringer yes, cover. Yes, the Whelan Stormbringer cover. I've got that as a giant poster it because it? it was the cover of a Sirith Ungol album. Was it? Yeah. They used all the Michael Whelan Elric uh, as their album covers and I got the box set of the reissue and it's got that as a huge poster, which I need to get framed so, so, thank that's, you. That's amazing, mate. Cheers. For no, joining me on our journey. Cheers. Let's fucking choke back this hideous beer and then maybe drink something nice. That'd be ace. Cheers for that, mate. But for now, thanks again yeah. and farewell. Yeah. What should we do next, though? Uh Oh, good question. Well, you know what? That's up to you. Uh, We've done, I think, we've done Elric. We've done Knight of the Swords. Yeah. What do you want to do?
1: I potentially would like to do we'd have to do them in order, would not we, the blood series, but I don't know if so, I, guess, yeah. I don't know if I could handle <laughs> the, uh, the first two. You know what? We don't have to decide now.
0: Yeah. We do not have to decide now. But so we'll, think we'll think of something. Oh yeah, we could just go and do silences Fair but we'll think of something. Cool. <laughs> Thanks to Laws, as ever, for his good humour and co hosting throughout our run, but also on this, our 60th full show. There appears to be a bit of numerology at play here, with this being episode 60, and following the releases of episodes 58 and 59, we tipped over 60,000 downloads on Podbean. And since our Patreon began, we've had just over 60 folks contribute to the upkeep of the podcast. So, have the stars aligned in some weird way? I did wonder if the number 60 has some strange mystical significance so after a quick search I found this the number 60 is a sacred number symbolizing divine protection from the spiritual realm through hard work prayer and faith individuals can benefit from its power to bring harmony and balance among their relationships while also providing for their material needs Hmm. hard work prayer and faith that's me out then how about this The 60 vibration stands for love, balance, motherhood, and the home. The zero adds a cosmic dimension about flow, cycles, and the rhythms of life. It is a loving and healing vibration that creates harmony in the surroundings. 60 stroke 6 prioritises love, balance, and the home. One needs a safe environment and stability. The 60 stroke 6 energy reminds us of the energies in the zodiac sign, Cancer. Wait a minute, my Zodiac sign is cancer. And there was a 1 in 12 chance of that happening to be the case when I checked online about some number. And 12 is double 6. Okay, it's all bollocks then. But we'll apply our own 60 rule anyway. As mentioned on the podcast, we've established a threshold at which long-term patrons will get the print copies of the journals that patron demons get, and, to keep order and balance in the grey fees, We've gone with $60 and mail-outs have gone to Jugaderos who've passed that threshold. So there, job done. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the Queen of the Swords book one, which is the return of Simon Perrins. But in the meantime, thanks, as always, to our patrons. First, those without tear. Anthony Picanti, Tim Cardos, Dave Dempster and Sebastian Weetabix. And our chaos engineers, Andrew Cicluna, Andrew Van Ness, Anthony Porter... ...Benjamin Fletcher... ...Craig Ledley... ...Dave Griffiths... ...Dave Voxman... ...Gabriel Laycock... ...Harvey Faulkner-Aston... ...Jim Kirkland... ...Jim Knight... ...John W. Lays... ...Jules Lawrence... ...Lee Gary... ...Malpertui... ...Mary Catherine... ...Matt Salts... Menion, ...Nelbert... ...Paul McRandall... ...Scott Butler... ...Simon Perrins... ...and Tony Milazzo... ...and of course thanks to our Crafty Jugaderos... ...Alexander Harris... ...Ian Stead... ...Loz... ...Taylor... Matthew Broom, Toby White, Tom Murphy, Mark Hebden, Graham Holden, and Ray Otis. And finally, eternal thanks to our patron demons. First up, and new to the Don blast, Jason Vogel. As is traditional, I dropped Jason a line to see what's what, and Jason said, I only got into Mococ within the last couple of years. I'd done a deep dive into the Mighty Blue Oyster Cult and fell in love with all the Mococ co-writes, but specifically, Black Blade. After a quick trip to the all in Wikipedia, I thought I'd give his books a go and started with the Hartman series because they were cheaper and there were less of them, and was hooked faster than you could say sorry-andum. Currently, I'm knee-deep in the recent saga reprints of the Elric books, making my way through The Skraeling Tree. I've amassed a modest collection of novels and such, mostly those door editions with the Michael Whelan covers. I'm the ripe old age of 30, and arguably still my formative years. When not among the Young Kingdoms, I read a variety of non-fiction. Glenn Cook, author of the excellent Black Company series, grim dark fantasy about a company of mercenaries. Jim Butcher, specifically his Dresden Files series, Wizard Private Detective. And any throwback paperback I spy that has a really happening cover. I've been looking for a new podcast that doesn't remind me that we're very much in the throes of the tragic millennium, and every episode feels like a good hangout session with friends. I always get a good laugh out of it, and leave feeling connected to a community of other like-minded weirdos who enjoy a good drink, a good read, and a casual discussion of the multiverse. Well, thanks for finding us, Jason. We're absolutely delighted to have you along for the ride. And of course the rest of our patron demons, Andy Darby, Clarky the Cruel, Fred Kiesch, Gareth Wilson, Greg Faulkner, Gwen Barlow, Imria, Janie Stim, Jay Reesa, Joe Monty, Liam J., Milesreed Labato, Mortmain, Neil Burton, Paul Hillary, Randall Gatlin, Steve Round, David Lee, the OG patron Norman Beresford, and last, but never least, Robert McMillan. Enough yakking. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Breakfast Ruins. You can email us at, breakfastruins at outlook.com. The webpage is breakfastintheruins.com. We have our Patreon page too. There are a few extra odds and sods on there. But for now, take care. Stay safe. And we will meet again soon on the Moonbeam Roads. I'm a place now is this because
1: relinquishing relinquishing
0: well relinquishing relinquishing right so relinquishing we're starting as we mean to go on yeah. i.e barely able to talk <laughs> pro- proper <laughs> english had a few <laughs> honestly officer i've only had a few yeah. ales and a curry yeah um well i should turn that game down a little bit because okay. we're already spiking